This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. Hey, good morning. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And today, today we're talking about loneliness. Um, I'm glad you're here with me, and I hope sometimes maybe I help you with not feeling lonely. But I will say that long-term feelings of loneliness aren't good for you. They're bad for your brain. They're bad for your overall health. And the sad thing is that feelings of loneliness are increasing. Um, And the thing that I think I wanted to to remind you about is you can have people around you and still feel lonely. In fact, there are studies that show you can even think that you have friends and still feel lonely. It's not just an old person thing. A lot of young people feel lonely. And in fact, the number of increasing college students who feel lonely, okay, on a busy college campus is increasing. So we're going to talk about maybe why that's happening, why it's becoming more pervasive. And we'll also talk about the changes in your brain that happen when you have chronic loneliness. I'm not talking about feeling a little lonely at one point in your life, but chronic loneliness is really bad for you. Not alone, but lonely. Okay, so just to emphasize what I was saying, the U.S. Census Bureau um, surveys say people are spending less and less time with friends more and more time alone. Now that, I know you're going, well, of course, the pandemic happened. Well, not not really. This was happening, beginning to happen, even as far back as the 80s. But it has been exponentially increasing in the last several years. So before the pandemic, we can't blame it for everything. Of course, we can blame it some, perhaps, for for increasing the issue. But the feeling of social isolation is there. So why do you think it's there? I'd love for you to join in the conversation at any time. This is a really interesting topic. And and um, Jay, uh, I know you and I have been talking about this and are just really, really... <sighs> intrigued by it absolutely yeah so so why do you think it's increasing why that feeling of loneliness is increasing do you have some thoughts oh i do i do indeed the the first thing that came to my mind when you talked about the statistics of loneliness specifically on college campuses Mm -hmm. is cell phones that's the first thing that came Mm -hmm. to my mind Mm. That we are now, we have a generation of adults who've had a, an entire culture of mashing all of their social buttons mm-hmm. through a phone and not in person with another person. And so they've 
they've trained themselves not to look or be aware or or how to learn to seek out friendship in person like mm-hmm. tactile friendship yeah. and i i think that's a that's a uh, like an underlying generational epidemic almost i don't, I, I don't want to use that word loosely but I, I think like the further we get along uh the more issues we're going to have with people knowing how to get along with each other face to face yeah you're bringing up a really important point. Like I said, now, if if loneliness was increasing even before the pervasive use of cell phones, um, I agree with you. What do you think is going to continue to happen now? Because, uh, you know, we talk about this all the time. Every one of us who ever walk into, say, a restaurant – um, look at a table, and people aren't even connecting with the people who are yeah. sitting at their own table, much yeah. less looking up. And, you know, those insurance commercials that are out there, you know, becoming your father. Um, about, <laughs> you know, the guy who gets in the elevator and, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and turns around and faces people on the elevator <laughs> instead of, and they go, turn around. Every, do you see the way everybody else is facing? What is so terrible with that? To turn around and look at people and go, good morning. How are you? It depends and, on how tall the building is. Right? <laughs> I guess. Or in the Sears Tower. I don't know. It's a long conversation you may have right there. But typically now, even on an elevator, if you get in an elevator and, it, and you have a ride, um, people tend to pull that phone out and look at it so they don't have to connect with yeah. you. So I don't want to blame cell phones on all of this. And I don't either. Yeah. I don't, it's, it's it's easy culprit. Right. Just lob everything on cell phones. I don't want to do that either. But there's some evidence that there's some other issues out there. And also know you had an outline, and I didn't want to drag something out of page seven right, <laughs> no. right off the bat. <laughs> no, that's okay. Just yank your whole order out of place there. Sorry about that. I always make an outline, don't I? <laughs> I know. A little obsessive. But it's not – yeah, cell phones aren't the only thing because it does appear that – what is happening, and listeners, I'd like to hear from you about this. All right, so now I'm going to tell you one thing that's happening is that even in your friend or slash family group, now many times individuals that you think are your friends or you call your friends are not as like-minded as you thought. Okay, so maybe you have different issues, different feelings, um, thoughts about gun control, about race and culture, about um, religion, about politics. Um, but but now your your friend group that you felt connected to and you felt comfortable with. Now, maybe you don't. And so there's been this evolution of of movement of individuals who have gone from perhaps able to have a conversation and maybe agree to disagree and still be really close friends and not get upset with anybody. Suddenly, it seems, and Jay, again, thoughts on this, it seems that you're either for or against me. And if you're against me, then I am not feeling connected to you. I, I just 
feel like that kind of behavior has intensified intensified in the the last few years. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I, we have a much more what is it called a tribalistic mm-hmm. culture, and I don't. I think I think politics, and again, I don't want to lob everything onto politics like we were doing cell phones just a second ago. Mm-hmm. But I think that's. Uh, and our culture, for some reason, that's become, and I know it's because it's tied to government, uh, and that's what we associate with, you know, from a, a national standpoint or a federal standpoint. But uh, uh, I don't know. I, it, politics is such a big deal in people's lives, and it specifically has become so polarizing, mm-hmm. so tribalistic, that I think that's bled over into all of the other parts of our life. You know, television connects us in a lot of ways. And so, you know, cable TV networks are, are the, the highest, you know, some of the, the most watched television. And so that has to bleed over. And I mean, number one, that's bled from, you know, what we believe and think politically to what we're watching on television all of a sudden. And then a lot of these same people get on social media and the people that they follow and the people that they watch and they listen to it's a lot of echo chamber Mm -hmm. on on every side and Mm -hmm. i'm not i'm not saying one side specifically but i think that's a trap that we as americans are falling into is echo chambering everything we don't want to hear what we will even listen to what other people have to say but we're not going to consider it we're not going to cross consider it not really listen to it and and then isolate no one's open to change right and And so we're intentionally isolating ourselves right isolating ourselves from individuals who are not like-minded which makes things even more limiting and so you know i i think it can be pretty devastating and the reason i'm talking about this i know we've talked about loneliness on this show before but but on 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 this show today i want us to go a little more deeply into it because there is some pretty astounding research that has looked at at brain activity and brain changes in people who are lonely so around 60 percent of people in the u.s right now are reporting feeling lonely. And like I said, that's 60% of old people, 60% of young people. It's not, it's not just isolated to some, some age group. And um, I'll just say it's a pretty devastating um, public health issue because we know that people who feel lonely – don't live as long. They have a higher incidence of chronic disease. They have a, 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 a higher incidence of mental health issues, but also obesity, diabetes, stroke, um, if you look at it. So that is something that I want us to, to take very seriously and understand. This is a real issue. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress here with Jay White, my producer, and today we're talking about loneliness and the increasing levels of loneliness that have been going on in the U.S. over the last several years. And, you know, talking about why it's there. We know it's bad for the brain. We know it's bad for the health. But there's some pretty impressive studies out there that are pointing out to why exactly what it's doing to the brain. Now, there are some differences, so I want to make sure as we're moving along that you understand this is relatively new research, but something that is 
um, has been shown repeatedly. Okay, people are busy, right? Um, People are probably spending more time at work because people have learned how to work offline, online, to stay connected from, you know, they go home from work, whether they're working um, remotely or in person, but you go home and you still got that computer, you've got that laptop, you can continue to work, okay? So... Free time or lack thereof is is one issue that is probably contributing. Okay. The other thing we mentioned are cell phones and media. Um, think about what we fill our time up with now. Do we fill our time up with going out to movies and going out to bowl, going to a skate park? Um, or what do we do? Entertainment can be easily accessed at home, right? You can have active video games. You can participate in an exercise program um, just online, right? Don't have to go anywhere. You can entertain yourself forever, all night long, with not just Netflix, but Apple, HBO, Amazon Screening, Hulu. I could go on, right? And so our technology, in theory, is supposedly there to connect us socially, but what it really does is is tends to interfere with our connectivity because it allows us to stay isolated and self-entertain. Just putting that out there. Think about what you do as opposed to what you did say, 10, 15, or 20 years ago. I know, you know, age has something to do with it. But, but um, you know, going, having bridge clubs and, and having book clubs has diminished in some areas. So perhaps that's something we need to do. Okay, let me, let me tell you about um, a couple of studies because I think that um, it might point out to you some of the, the issues, listener, as we're moving along, why this is important. So uh, a researcher in psychology at the University of Southern California uh, led an investigation that looked at MRIs, uh, brain imaging, of 66 college students as they watched a collection of um, short sport videos. And they included some just general highlights from the videos um, and clips from other documentaries and emotional depictions of human life. So a little bit of everything. And then uh, they went through some MRI scans and filled out a questionnaire to gauge how lonely they felt. And then they looked at the questionnaires and divided them into the lonely group and the non-lonely group from the scores of the survey. 
And what they found was students who who scored in the loneliness group, the ones who appeared to be the most lonely when they filled that out, um, had different brain imaging. The non-lonely group, their brains were pretty similar in their neural responses. But in the, the lonely group, what they found was that um, lonely people' brain acted differently. They tended tended to have a little bit uh, more reactivity in the emotional center, and and possibly see the world a bit differently. And so um, the brains responded differently to the video stimulation and um, and so what she proposed was that um, perhaps there are truly brain changes that tend to affect the gray matter the emotional processing center more um, there was um, you know she also noted that lonely individuals their had blunted brain responses in in their reward system. So things that unlonely people found what that might have been rewarding in the videos or say somebody kicked a goal in soccer and they got excited, there was a less reaction from lonely people. Interesting, right? Okay, another study um, that was published in December of 2020, so two and a half years ago or so, um, the the lead author um, was in Montreal from McGill University, and um, they they looked at um, loneliness in in general. And compared MRI data from study participants who said they often felt lonely and um, found some key differences again. Lonely people's default networks were wired stronger toward the gray matter volume. Again, same thing. Gray matter is more where memories and emotions were stored. And what it appears is that people who are lonely tend to go back to the past and pull on those emotional memories um, or daydream in the present. So that imaginative daydreaming or they think about how the future could perhaps change. So lonely people tend to use their imagination, memories, and hopes more um, in an effort to manage their isolation. That sounds a little sad, right? But the research has shown the same thing in those two very different and very separate studies. Um, So I guess... My point here is that we really need to be looking at loneliness and what it's doing to our brains and how we can perhaps combat that. So listeners, um, to you, um, do you think your loneliness has increased in the last few years? 
is there something that has happened to you um, that has caused you to be more lonely? And is there something that perhaps um, you would like help with? We certainly can talk about that. Another question is, um, did someone do something positive for you that perhaps helped you manage your loneliness? You can email us at family at mpbonline.org. I have another thing I think might be part of this. Yeah. Part of what uh, might be part of what uh, the studies were saying also. Uh, I think for a lot of people, the rat race becomes so packed with the things that you're trying to do that there's no time for friends. Mm. I think a lot of people fall into that uh, mistake. It's like a vicious cycle. You add more, especially if you've got a bunch of kids, and now the kids are the age where you've know, you got to take them to karate or the ball game or the dance or the, you know, the cheer thing and this and that and the soccer practice. Uh, I mean, you can spread yourself all over the place real easy. Absolutely. Well, parents can, but kids can too. Oh, no doubt. And and I'm especially as teenagers. Oh my goodness, yeah. And I'm wondering what we're doing to our kids when they get over. But but that's good though. I mean that that you know, like especially if you know they have a lot of the activities, that can be something that can teach them. It kind of forces them into that face to face activity, playing sports or. You know, doing uh, you know mock trial or a debate team, and all this kind of stuff, the chess team and whatnot. That is awesome for face-to-face interaction, but for the parents, I think that's pulling them away from more face-to-face interaction. But maybe not. I don't know. Maybe that's when the parents of all the teammates and uh, folks get together, and that that's a little bit of their interaction. But right. that might be all that the interaction it, that they get during the course of the week. It may be all, and it may that's be, their social group. <laughs> it's their social group who perhaps has very little in common with them other than that. So, ooh, that's a great yeah. point. So, so then we get really overscheduled with that. You're forced into this social group. Of individuals who the the commonness is that you all have a kid on the team <laughs> that you're rooting for, but sometimes you're rooting for your child more than the other child, and certainly, you know, again, think about that how you can feel somewhat socially isolated and lonely, even when you're in a group. A large group like this, perhaps because there there such differences um, of your mindset and your social thoughts and all, or or perhaps because your child is not a good player and you're feeling a little bit isolated because of that. Now, something you brought up, a hundred percent agree. Agree, team sports are good for kids. There is no doubt. There's plenty of research out there that says that. But if you have a child who goes from team sports to, you know, soccer and and track and then baseball and debate and um, dance performance and so all of that is scheduled all of that is again in a uh, essentially forced group and so what happens with that is 
you maybe have that one common thread of of having individuals in that group with you but but is it truly feeling connected socially connected and feeling like you are are there and and you belong there so i guess um what i'm saying is that that overscheduling sometimes can interfere with social connectivity for kids for and for their parents and you know and for for those who are trying to manage a really busy schedule time is an issue that gets in the, or lack thereof that gets in the way of of many uh, many of us functioning as more more than somebody who is running from one thing to another without having that connectivity. That's my thought. I don't know, listeners. What do you think? <laughs> Love to hear from you um, about that. So so jump in to the conversation. Nobody wants to talk about it. We must be talking about everybody. I you think we're must talking? Must be mashing them. Mashing the button. Mash. I, I just, I think this is such an important topic. And as you look, look into how in the world can we be lonely? You know, we were talking in the previous show about divorce and the incredibly high divorce rate. Well, you know good and well that if if people are in a marriage that they don't feel lonely in, then they're likely going to stay in it. And so, uh, to me, that just further pointed out that there are people who maybe are in a crowded home or a crowded dormitory or whatever they're in, apartment, um, and they're still feeling lonely. So we're doing something wrong, and we've got to fix it. And I'd like to, I, I have some fixes, I have some Uh-oh. thoughts about it, but I'd really like to hear from our listeners about how they think perhaps we can fix it. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress here with Jay White, and we're talking about loneliness. Why are so many people feeling lonely now? Something's going on that we really need to fix when 60%, the majority of individuals are saying that they feel lonely at some times that, and that it affects them. And we know that chronic loneliness is bad for you. It affects your brain. It changes where your brain works. It makes you not live in the present, not good. There's evidence that if you're lonely, you tend to think about the past. Think about the future, daydream about the present, but not live in the present. So we need to figure out what we need to do to live in the present. So we're going to jump over to the phones. We have Gail in Biloxi. Hi, Gail. Thanks for calling. Hi. Uh, good morning. Yes, um, there are a lot of different factors involved when you work and you have work friends, you go to lunch at the cafeteria with them, that's a friendship, you're not lonely. You go to the ballpark with other parents, you're rooting for the team, you're not lonely. But then you go home and all those members of work or other teams that your children are in, 
they're not there. They're not mm-hmm. friends. Mm-hmm. They're not the people that you can turn around and say, hey, come over for a cup of coffee. Let's go shopping. Or just pick up the phone and chit-chat. So, you know, being involved with all these other entities does not solve Loneliness. Loneliness is still there. Mm. I think you have. You're making a really good point, Gail, and and I, I I agree with you that that you can be busy and and have a lot of people around you, and and be engaged and be active, but then not have that social connection of a feeling that you're truly a part of that group, right? you don't actually develop a true friendship. Mm-hmm. And friendship is what, you know, helps with loneliness. And you don't need a lot of them, but you might need, um, you know, a few. A few close ones. Right. When you start feeling down or something's on your mind that you need to discuss, you know you can pick that phone up and dial that person. So. Right. Yeah. So, so Gail, do you have any any kind of solutions on how to make that better? Do you have some thoughts about it? it it's it's still difficult, and yeah. especially if he's relocated mm-hmm. over the years. You know, I still have friends up in Jersey, one or two in particular that I still stay in contact with. So yes, I can pick up the phone and talk to them. But of all the activities that I belong to, that's a little different. Yeah. Yeah, I would. So my suggestion, and and we can talk more about this um, as we move along the show. But I, I think if if there are people that you've connected with, I know moving about is difficult. I was one who I I grew up in the same hometown in Mississippi all my life. The first time I moved was when I went to Starkville to Mississippi State, and so um, I. I think I don't have that experience, but but I, I will say I had a couple of close friends who who were um, who did move around because of their their father's work, and um, pretty quickly what what I saw was that their parents worked to get them into activities so that that they would become a part. And so I wonder, Gail, if when you go meet people at whatever functions, you mentioned a couple, if you wouldn't just tap them on the shoulder if you feel like you're enjoying them and ask them, would you like to go to lunch sometimes with me, to start to forge that kind of one-on-one relationship? Oh, I I definitely have. Uh You know, I do have some of those people. I have developed that, but for a lot of people, that's very difficult. It is. It, it, to find that common thread. I agree, so, and I, I, I'd love to hear from other listeners about how perhaps they conquered that, because it does take an effort, and you have to get over, and I, I think a lot of times people don't reach out um, to others is um, because they're afraid there might not be that common thread, as you mentioned, Gail, 
or that the fear of rejection you know it's like all those those scenes i'm sure um guys can talk about this and now some girls too um because you know the first time you ever asked somebody out were you terrified were you afraid that you were going to be rejected i think many times relationships don't happen even when two people would mutually enjoy them because of the fear of rejection so what you have to do is is bolster yourself so that you're resilient and able to step through that in case someone does say no not interested because it could happen but it (laughs) so that uh, gail you're bringing up i guess exactly what jay and i were talking about earlier is that you can have hundreds of people around you um but still not have um, those few that we all need to keep us from feeling lonely when we need someone. So thanks for starting us off. I appreciate it, Gail. Well, let's stay on the phones. We have Kat and Mobile. Kat, you have some thoughts about loneliness. Yes, ma'am. Um, in relation to what you were saying earlier about finding a solution. Um, so last year, I had a baby, and I chose to breastfeed exclusively once I got to that point or pump and put the baby on the breast anyway. Um, So being a new mom again was kind of a lonely time because, one, it's still the pandemic, and then also the baby's small, so you don't want a whole lot of people in and out. Um, But then also the taboo-ness of breastfeeding and you know, it's not as um, well-received here in the States. It's still kind of people sexualize it. And so feeling like you have to hide or go in the corner or it, it could lead to more isolation. But what I did was just set boundaries and find good people, like the people in my group that I could be comfortable with doing that around, even if I'm covered, just people that I could be myself around um, and that helped a lot because initially within those first six weeks it was it could have been very lonely if I didn't have those people that could step up and be support and be helpful because you know people also come to see the baby and not you so <laughs> it, that could be a lonely time but just finding a group of people that could support you wow well you mentioned a couple of things Kat that Gosh, almost um, pushed my button too hard. Um, first of all, postpartum depression um, is is common. And I am so exceedingly happy that we now have postpartum coverage for, for women um, for a full year because so many women were struggling with that loneliness that you're mentioning because they're trying to take good care of their baby, protecting their baby, having these hormonal changes and not having the support around them that they need. So, um, yes, it can be a very isolating time. Now, uh, kudos to you, Kat, for deciding to breastfeed. And um, 
and I, I hear what you're saying about there being people out there um, still in Mississippi who think breastfeeding is taboo, which is just astounding to me. It is the most natural, most protective, most healthy thing any mother could ever do if they love their child, if they can. Now, I want to remind people I know that breastfeeding is not always successful for everybody, but there are supports out there. And if there's one thing that should never happen, and I might even start yelling <laughs> on this one, one thing that should never happen is that a woman should feel that she is doing something shameful by breastfeeding her child. So if there's somebody out there listening who thinks it's um, shameful to breastfeed in public, if you cover yourself appropriately, you're just wrong. And and we, we need to have some major changes going on in our state if that is still going on. So, Kat, I am I am sad to hear that you felt that. Again, kudos to you for um, bringing this up, for taking care of your baby and doing the most loving thing a mother can do if she is able to do it. If she's not, yes, there are good formulas out there. But um, I know that was a tangential tantrum on my part, but I had to say it. (laughs) Oh, Kat, thank you for calling. All right. I want to stay on the phones because I think Joanne in um, somewhere in Mississippi um, is going to bring up a topic that is something that is common. So, Joanne, go ahead. Hey, darling. Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I was fixing to tear up, so forgive me. No, I'm 70 years old. My husband is almost totally disabled, so I... Uh, according to good days and bad days, I weighed in on his hand and feet, foot. I'm estranged from my family and uh, have been for 20 years. Mm. Uh, and my children are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles away from mm. me. And my husband, 70 years old, is a selfish butt. <laughs> oh. So, so I have I have no one. I have no one. Uh, I've resorted to making friends with the FedEx delivery van. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's interesting. Uh, I actually, well, I actually, uh, in the, the whole loneliness thing, I actually find myself re, uh, withdrawing into more being alone because me being with anyone else makes him unhappy. Did that make sense? Makes your husband unhappy? Yes, yes, yes. He is. He is. Uh, how would I say this nicely? Very, very selfish with me. Mm. Well, Joanne, um, you're saying this out loud. How does that make you feel now that you're saying all this out loud? <laughs> oh, I say it out loud to myself all the time. Mm. Uh, oh, it makes me tear up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Makes me tear up. Have you talked to your husband about this? About how lonely oh, you I, feel? I have, I have. Oh, I have tried that, but uh, he is, well, we're 70. Oh, he's old school. Mm-hmm. He thinks I'm just being silly. Hmm. And his his definition of silly is not nearly as nice as telling someone that you're silly. 
And but, so you said he's disabled. Does that mean that he's not able to walk about and do things for himself? Uh, he, some he can. He can He can function probably within the confines of our home with a walker, mm-hmm. uh, but couldn't carry anything mm-hmm. or uh, <laughs> anything more than that, probably a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. So, Joanne, um, do you ever leave him at home alone? On occasion. In fact, mm-hmm. I'll be honest with you, I'm in the truck on my way somewhere right now that I had to take care of, and he's at home by himself. Okay. So, <laughs> so right now, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, um, I'm going to make some suggestions. First of all, uh, I hope you've heard um, what we talked about as far as how how bad loneliness um, is for you. It's bad for yeah. it's bad for you. It's bad for your health. Um, it does sound like your husband is is being a bit egocentric and not realizing what this is doing to you. Because if you've talked to him and he thinks you're being a silly woman, then I would um, personally think that what you need to do is take charge of things yourself. You need to make sure that he's safe, that he he has what he needs, and then you need to start allowing yourself, realizing that you deserve it, and this is good for you, and it'll be ultimately good for him, for you to be able to do some things that are for just you, not for him and and that would include reaching out to a group whether it be uh, a group an exercise group whether it's a church group a card group whatever but you need to start allowing yourself to to move forward make some friends and have some other interaction um, other than with somebody that you have to take care of all the time. You know, I remember a few years ago on this show, we did we did a show about um, being a caretaker and and the how difficult it was. And so many people called in about exactly the kind of thing you're talking about. Um, you know, people don't want to be disabled. They don't want to have to be cared for. But um, I think so many times we forget how difficult it can be for that person who's having to be the caretaker. Um, so you don't need to give your whole life away and your health away. Um Joanne, I think you're just going to have to take charge. This is terrible for you. It really is. Do you think you can well, do it? Uh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I think I think the choice is between doing what you said and uh, dealing with his unhappiness with me once I do that. And, mm-hmm. and as a coward, I've chosen, and I get the fact that chosen, I've chosen to uh, retreat rather than be aggressive because I just don't want to face dealing with with, uh, his disapproval. How's that? I hear you, and and I I hear what you're saying, but you don't have to be aggressive. You can start the line with, I love you. 
I love you and I want to take care of you, but I have to do this for me and for my health and for my well-being. And I tell you what. Um, Let me say. Yeah. That, go ahead. You called yourself a coward. Don't look at it like that. You need to give yourself a break. You're playing defense. That's what you're doing. Yeah. You're not being a coward. You're being defensive. Right. You know, and you're you're you were uh, it, that, that's a automatic mechanism that we have. It's self-preservation. That's what that was. Don't yeah. that, give yourself a little break there. I don't like you talk, call, calling yourself a coward. I don't like that talk. Eh. Well said, Jay. <laughs> you heard that, Joanne. You, you Thank are, you. yeah, <laughs> you, you really need to give yourself some grace on this. We have Craig from Biloxi who has some comments for you. So stay with us, Joanne, and um, we're going to go to Craig. Yeah, uh, I've had to deal with uh, being lonely myself and, it's it's worse when you uh, don't have anything at all, like no future. But so one possible solution that I that I think is good would be uh, to find some hobby or activity uh, that that you enjoy doing, and a that takes your mind off of your own negative feelings, and, and b is you're going to meet someone else doing the same thing, and. You know, even if you're a couple, you can't just sit around and look at each other. You're doing something. So whatever it is that you like to like to do, go do that. Well, I like that idea to to give yourself some something else as a distractor, um, because it does sound like a lot of of Joanne's life has been wrapped up in the last few years at least of of just taking care of him and it and it does i think we have to always be careful when somebody um is demanding all of your time that kind of relationship is very one-sided and and can can and is very controlling and and I think that we heard that one one problem that Joanne's having to deal with is apparently some of this controlling behavior has also had her further separate from her her family and her her friends and and children. And so um, again, I think. To, like Jay said, give. I don't think you said that. You, but but my word is give yourself some grace. Um, allow yourself to think through why you do what you do. But then, perhaps, Craig, I think your suggestion is a good one to to come up with another distractor um, that could be. Um, Hopefully, interaction with others, though. So, okay, you've heard from us. Thanks, Craig. Thanks, listeners. I really appreciate all our callers, too. Um, I just want to remind everybody, loneliness is bad. So what we need to do is if you think somebody might be lonely, reach out to them Try to make sure that if there's somebody about who seems to not belong, help them. So our next show, next week, we're going to talk about belonging. It's going to be different, but the ability and the value of belonging is what we'll be talking about. All right. This show is a 
supported by the University of Mississippi Medical Center um, in part. Um, you can listen to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.